So now that we've given you an opportunity to do an assessment of where your company's at, most likely most of us aren't very excited about what the results were. My hope is that you and your management team at least now have a realistic outlook of exactly where you're at versus your competition and, and maybe have brought come down to earth with the fact that it's time to do something different. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what causes the problem, why, why it's not just you. In fact, almost every company, regardless of size, struggles with hiring, um, not because they're not following best practices, but because they are following them to an extreme level. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. Stay tuned. HR loves best practices. Look, for the past 10, 15 years, I've been traveling around the country, speaking at pretty much every SHRM state or local chapter that would invite me to speak. If you go to Google as an HR person and see the types of searches that are being ran, they're very similar to the goal of SHRM, which is to help the HR profession to share best practices with each other. And of course, the hope of that is to improve the results that the different companies are getting. Best practices are great in heavily regulated areas where the primary motivation is reducing risk and errors, such as payroll and benefits. But when it comes to a rapidly changing and evolving situation, like what we're seeing in the world of hiring and have been seeing for quite some time, those same best practices can actually cause more harm than good. Let's unpack why this is. Start off with what is a best practice? Look, the best practice, by definition, is the agreed upon way of doing things within an industry. And that creation of those best practices follows what's called the product or idea adoption curve. Effectively, it's a bell curve that relies on tech enthusiasts and visionaries, early adopters on the front side, trying out new crazy ideas, getting them to work and gaining some, some level of traction and adoption before it hits the, the early and then late majority of people where it then starts to become a trend and then finally a best practice as you get the late majority adopting it. At the very far side are what's called skeptics or laggards. That tends to be the group of people in a given industry or in a given uh, profession that only accept a best practice when it's completely proven. Now, here's what the problem is in the HR space, is that the adoption and evolution of best practices requires a significant number of people on the front side of that adoption curve who are willing to try new things, break them, figure them out, adjust them until they become trends that actually work. Of course, when you think about the average person in HR, this distribution curve simply doesn't hold up the same way it does in the general population of business leaders or even worse when it comes to say tech people. The fact of the matter is in the HR world, new ideas have a hard time gaining traction because they go right at the core of the best practices that are entrenched and held down as the way to do things by most people. This in a normal market might not be a big deal, but in a fast, rapid-growing, chaotic place, using the old way will cause companies to struggle. This, this kind of like evolution and, and 
changing of best practices, and especially when it is slow, those still using the best practices fall behind unless there's something else to help them. Specifically, bigger companies and organizations can deal with using older practices because they have the budget, the resources, the manpower, and the brand name to overcome it. But the smaller companies, the little guys, the nonprofits of the world, and pretty much anybody who views themselves as the underdog is going to struggle if they hold on to those best practices too long for the, the exact opposite reasons why big companies can deal with older best practices that are going out of date. Small guys lack resources, lack budget, lack team size, and lack brand recognition. Therefore, when those best practices stop working, it negatively impacts them at a much greater rate. The answer for the smaller companies and the underdogs in the world is to innovate, but most of them simply aren't innovating right now. What we're doing is waiting around one of two things. We're waiting around for the answer to show up, or we're blaming big giant macroeconomic problems, which takes away our motivation or our belief that we need to go in and make a change. Let me give you a list of common best practices that most companies, especially bigger ones, are following that are not working or even worse, harming them. Number one, job descriptions as ads. About the worst thing you can do right now um, is to post a legal review job description as an ad. That description is all about the employer. It's an entire list of demands and it is not that engaging to job seekers. Now, once again, if you're a big Goliath, you can deal with that really, really boring job ad because you pay the most and have brand recognition um, and have a team to make up for it and, and can apply more budget. But if you're the small guy and you have a boring job ad attached to a company name that most likely doesn't have a lot of, of brand knowledge or brand power out in the marketplace, job seekers can simply turn around and not apply for your job. This is one of the biggest reasons why we see less than 1% of the people who search for a job actually applying for the job and ending up in the inbox. They simply don't get engaged um, with the ad. Number two, not letting people apply with their job board accounts. Big giant companies can force job seekers to leave Indeed or ZipRecruiter or Facebook and go to their applicant tracking system to apply. Once again, they can do this because the lure of working for these companies is so great that job seekers are willing to jump through additional hoops and even unnecessary steps. But once again, when you are a smaller company, when you're one of the underdogs in a space, you simply can't, you simply can't afford the loss of conversion or the loss of applicants, having people click but not start or start but not complete. You simply do not have a big enough driver that gets those people across the finish line because once again, you don't have the highest pay, you don't have the brand recognition or the power behind your brand. Number three, posting and praying. This one has been said uh, till it's a dead horse, beaten till it's a dead horse. But the fact of the matter is I don't think most people understand what it actually means. Posting and praying means that you don't actively look at how to improve your results of those job ads on the job boards. Instead, we assume that just throwing the job ad out there is enough. The fact of the matter is companies see a one, two, three times increase in applicant flow when they actively drive up engagement by adjusting their ad, drive up the viewership 
by changing the keywords and the number of times keywords are in that and drive down the friction of how hard it is to apply. The fact of the matter is just posting your job and assuming the job board is taking care of everything else is costing you applicant flow. Number four, relying too much on free job boards. Now this one is, is a big deal now that maybe wasn't for a long time. The fact of the matter is back in, man, I was gonna say the olden days, but back, back when I started into this space, lots and lots of companies relied, on, in fact, most companies relied on paid job boards, Crew Builder and Monster, newspaper ads, et cetera, et cetera. And, and these companies were spending hundreds of dollars per job opening. Along comes the world of applicant tracking systems and along comes free job boards like Indeed. For a period of time, almost a decade, We've enjoyed this experience of not having to spend all of that money on the job boards, instead maybe paying a flat monthly fee to our ATS provider, et cetera. But especially coming out of COVID and over the course of the last few years, the amount of traffic coming for free from these job boards has been decreasing per job. And if a company didn't respond to this by, by building back up their paid budget, then they might get caught off guard by the fact that we now see uh, declines as much as 50% or more drops in free applicant flow per job from the job boards. There's a whole bunch of factors in why this is happening, but none of them really matter as much as the fact that if you're caught off guard with no budget to make up the difference, you're going to be in trouble. Number five, relying too much on job boards. If, if job boards are 70, 80, 90% of all of your applicants, or even worse of all of your hires, then most likely your sourcing uh, mix is out of balance. You should be seeing sourcing coming from a various group of sources, not just job boards that tend to focus on active applicants, but also social media and social media groups and your own website, walk-ins, your own fans on social media, and finally, most importantly, employee referrals. If those other sources aren't making up a substantial percentage of hires and potentially even a decent percentage of applicants, then most likely it means your focus has been so heavily geared towards job boards that you simply haven't done the work it takes to make those work better. Number six, not using social media. Um, by social media, I don't mean posting uh, your job to your company page, although that is a possible thing. I also mean not posting to social media groups like Facebook help wanted groups and LinkedIn uh, groups inside your industry or inside certain professions. There are a ton of followings out there in the social media world called groups where, where you can post your job and get in front of a group that already exists, but it requires you to actively go out, find them and post them. Number seven, not involving marketing. Look, this is where we really get into it. If Sourcing at your company is viewed as an HR function and not a team sport that management and that other parts of the team manage or drive, then you have a problem. While you may not get as many applicants from your website or walk-in traffic or your social fans, what we find time and again is that those applicants you do get are three to five times higher quality, meaning they're three to five times more likely to get hired, so you need fewer of them. But the fact is, in order to create a strategy and implement a strategy targeting your company's fans, walk-ins, or website traffic, you have to get marketing involved. And that normally means getting the management team involved in seeing that 
we, that sourcing is not just an HR function. Along those same lines, number eight, not driving your employer referral program. Most of the time when I talk to employers and I ask them if they have an employer referral program, they assume that just the fact they have one is good enough. And most of the time they assume the only way that they could drive the results of that referral, referral program up would be to pay more money for the hires. That simply isn't true. Just having a referral program isn't enough. It doesn't mean your employees actually know about it, know that it's important, or know how to go about referring. There are five main things to keep in mind when it comes to employee referral programs. You have to create a drumbeat of communication, of reducing the friction, of increasing engagement, of ensuring consistent recognition of not just the new hires, but the person who referred them, and finally, that you understand the power of what's called weak connections, meaning employer referrals are not just about somebody referring their best friend, it's about referring people they may not even have a direct relationship with. Number nine, thinking referrals are just about strong connections. I can't state this one enough. Most people believe that the core driver of employee referrals or customer referrals is these strong connections, family members, best friends, etc. The fact of the matter is there's tons of studies and evidence out there showing that weak connections have just as much potential of driving employee referrals as the strong ones. But if you don't reduce the friction and ensure that there are tools in place to help your employees share the jobs with those weak connections, then you won't actually see any of them coming through the process. And finally, number 10, being passive versus and reactive versus being active and proactive when it comes to improving the results. A lot of times we are taking this very passive approach of throwing a job out on the job boards and waiting to see what happens, reacting when things don't work out the way we assume. But what needs to happen is a much more active or proactive approach to refining and improving and evolving your process even when there isn't a problem so that when there is, you have already started working on the thing. So what's the answer? If, if best practices aren't helping us, and if we're all kind of copying and following a lot of best practices that might actually be causing us harm, the answer instead is that we don't need best practices. We need best principles, formulas, frameworks, and paradigms. We need ways to think about hiring, ways to work through the hiring process, ways to evolve it and improve it that have been proven. So they are something that isn't extremely risky, but most likely you're gonna to have to look outside of hiring to do it. Where I tend to borrow these ideas and frameworks and formulas from is from the world of marketing. Below is a list of our top frameworks and formulas. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to show you and explain each one of them in detail of how to use it. They include the four P's of marketing, sourcing funnels, sourcing balance and power, recruiting flywheels, segment stacking, differentiation, and the job seeker value canvas. Make sure you watch your email for, or come back and listen to our podcast to hear more about each of these individual frameworks, how to use it and how it can dramatically change the results of sourcing in your hiring process. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the 90 Days of Sourcing uh, podcast, mini series, whatever you want to call it. Super excited for you to be along this ride and along this journey with us. 
Um, as you are, are listening to this, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast um, and, and watch for new episodes coming out in your email or from the podcast system or, or however you consume our content. Um, I would love, love, love to hear any questions, comments, concerns, feedback you have about today's podcast or any episode, to be honest, of any piece of content, whatever it is, or even to hear your specific challenges and pains you're struggling with sourcing. So if you want to give me some feedback, shoot me an email to ryankohler at applicantpro.com. That's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Kohler, like the faucet, K-O-H-L-E-R, at applicantpro.com. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time, good luck hiring. Yeah.